grace with us today. Years and years ago, when I turned 10, my 10th birthday, I fell out of my treehouse and I caught my neck just for a couple seconds in a loop of nylon rope. Left a nasty rope burn here, kind of an unfortunate rub. I remember that. I remember that. Years and years ago, when I was 14, I bought my first car, a 1966 Ford Mustang. From my Aunt Janine, bought it for $1,000 down and $50 a month for a long time there afterwards. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that. Years and years ago, when I was in college, I went to a Grateful Dead show with my friend Aaron Pick in the Oakland Coliseum. It was awesome and wild. And yes, I remember that. I remember that. Absolutely. Years and years ago, 1995, I got married, yeah, in a salmon-colored church in San Jose, California. It was wonderful, and I remember that. So those are just a few examples of things from my past. Those are things from my life under the category past. If you were to put stuff in my life into like, so here's some memories, things that happened a long time ago, things that fall under the category labeled past, things that happened then, happened there, happened in another time and in another place. Now, one of those experiences is unique in the sense that it happened in the past, but it's also happening right now. It's still happening, and that's my marriage to Carmen. Right, so even though our wedding day was wonderful and memorable, and we had lots of pictures taken, and we had lots of friends and family come, and we ate lots of good food, and we ran out of cake because my groomsmen decided to be a good idea to decorate our car with our sheet cakes. Yeah, that's bad. Uh, the fact is, um, we, were mar- we are married today, and that's the, that's the thing that matters the most. That's the thing that's making a difference in our lives. In other words, it's one thing. Our marriage happened, and that's important. And what I want to say today is it's still happening, and that matters even more. What happened matters. But I want to argue this morning that it's what's happening now, what's still happening, that matters even more. Here's the difference between the experiences in our lives which matter very little, which ultimately don't really change much, and the experiences in our lives which actually change the way we live, actually change the way we experience this world on a here and now level. It's whether or not that experience is still happening. Is it a been there, done that experience? Does it fall into the category of past for you? That's great. You got the t-shirt, you have pictures, I'm sure it was fun, it was probably meaningful. Or is it also a it's still happening kind of experience in your life? Is there an element of, 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 of this that is continuing forward? Not just as a memory in your head, but as an always new, as a living and breathing reality that is a part of your life. Like a child, she was born two years ago. And so you remember the day and you took pictures and you called all your friends, but she's now living in your home with you, changing everything. You see what I'm saying? Making a difference in the way you live your day-to-day life. So there are things that happened. And then there are the things that are still 
happening. And what I want to say this morning is it is those things, those still happening things that matter most. Those are the things that move us. Those are the things, it's the here and now that makes a real difference. So let's talk about Easter. We've all gathered this morning because we want to celebrate Easter. And uh, I think all over the world, today most certainly, um, there are more people in Christian churches today than on any other day of the whole year. Why? Well, because it's Easter. It's the day that Christians remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter is the highest holy day in the Christian faith. Today is them. There is no day in the year that is more important to Christians than today. And it's because there is no event from a Christian perspective that matters more than the event of the resurrection. Right? So there are all these people all over the world gathering today to celebrate the story of Jesus. But here's the critical question. Is the story of Jesus something that happened in the past way back then, in a whole different place, or is the story of Jesus something that is also happening right here and right now in your life? Not just then and there, not just over on the other side of the world at another time, but right here and right now. Is the story of Jesus something for you that happened? Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. In fact, that's such a good thing. Good job, Jesus. Thank you for demonstrating your love for humanity. That was amazing. And like the play's over, the movie's done, we just clap and then we walk away. Or for you, could it maybe be even more than that? Something that is not over. Yes, it happened, but it's still happening. There is a dynamic to the whole story that is present. It's not locked up in history, but it is continued throughout. Why have we gathered today? We've gathered to remember something specific. What we're remembering is that Jesus is alive. Not just that he lived a long time, he is alive. So by the very nature of what it is that we are remembering today, that remembrance bring, it just calls itself right into the present. You can't lock it up and keep it in the back. By definition, it is here and it is now. So I'd like to consider this today. Is it something that happened or is it something that is still happening? A lot of the attention, I think, that is being placed on Jesus today or has been placed on Jesus in the weeks leading up to today, whether it's magazine covers or PBS specials or History Channel documentaries or whatever, a lot of the attention placed on Jesus today is not going to make any difference tomorrow. It's not going to make any difference tomorrow. Because many people will remember Jesus today like I remember the Grateful Dead in Oakland, right? A memorable event, a wild story, kind of a strange thing. That just simply doesn't make any difference in my life anymore. The Grateful Dead show, I mean, it might as well not have happened because in my, it's only in the past for me. It's just a memory for me. I wonder what you expect to do or to experience here in a Christian church on Easter Sunday morning. I wonder what your expectations are. For this time in this place i wonder if you've come to remember something that happened a long time ago in another time in another place which is good and right and important and you should do that but i wonder if you expect anything more than that 
anything more than just remembering. I wonder if there's anything in you that is hoping for more, that is wanting more. Because what we're remembering today is that Jesus is alive. And so I hope that you've come uh, not just planning to remember his life back then and over there, but expecting, actually, realistically, practically expecting to encounter him alive here and now among us in this place on this morning. All right, so here at Emmaus, the last couple of, uh, for the spring, we've been studying the Apostles' Creed, which is a hundred-year statement from the second century of historic Christian beliefs. And we've taken this one phrase at a time all spring, and we've asked two questions of each phrase. One, what do Christians believe? And secondly, why does it matter? And so the creed's basically in three sections. The first section's about God the Father. The last section's about the Holy Spirit and the church. But the middle section is about Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of distinct beliefs that are articulated in the middle section of the Apostles' Creed. Stuff like this. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. That's how the section begins. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So Christians believe that Jesus is God. And then the next line of the creed is, who was born of the Virgin Mary. So without surrendering his divinity, Christians believe that Jesus took on humanity. So that he was all human and all God at the same time. That he suffered under Pontius Pilate. So Christians believe that Jesus actually and practically suffered in a real time, in a real place, under a real man with a real name and a real face. And that's important because that's the way we suffer too. We suffer specifically. We don't suffer generally. Our pain is specific. We can point at it. We can name it. And Christians believe that Jesus suffered like that as well. And we believe that Jesus was crucified and that he died and that he was buried and that he descended to the dead. So Christians believe that Jesus not only uh, suffered, but that he suffered all that humanity could ever suffer, that he could suffer and, and could lead us all the way to and through death, like the final experience of suffering. And then today, perhaps the most provocative Christian belief of all is that on the third day, he rose again. So Christians believe that Jesus overcame death, that that which had always had the last word, that which was always the period at the end of every sentence, doesn't matter how great you are, in the end you go out with nothing and you die, but Jesus overcame that. And so the worst the world can throw at you, the worst kind of brokenness you could ever experience, it does not compare to the power of the resurrection because Jesus overcame it all and then rose again. Right? So here's what's so remarkable about the specific Christian belief, the belief of the resurrection. It's not just that it happened. It's not just that Jesus rose from the dead, but that those who followed Jesus, those who shared life with him, those who heard him teach, those who saw his miracles, they actually experienced him more powerfully after the resurrection than before the resurrection. There's a writer that we're, uh, we've been re referencing recently. His name's Timothy Luke Johnson. He says, for Christians... Jesus' story does not end with death. See, for many historians, for those on the quest for the historical Jesus, many uh, people who are writing story, the story ends with Jesus' death. And sadly, for many Christians, that's where the story ends as well, because all we do is remember. That's all we do. That's all we expect to do, is just remember. Great show, Jesus. You were awesome. 
Thanks for that powerful expression of love. But the historic Christian experience is so much more than that. Jesus' story does not end with his death. It continues into the present and into the future. And here's what's remarkable. More powerfully than before. People say, man, I just wish I could have walked around in Palestine with Jesus. I just wish I could have seen him the way he did that. I wish he could have heard him teach. I wish I could have been there when he fed the 5,000. Well, you know what? Most of the time, the people who got to walk with Jesus, they were confused. Most of the time, they were pretty frustrated, frankly, because Jesus wasn't doing what they expected him to do. There was a lot of bickering and a lot of brokenness and confusion. But you know what's actually more powerful than their experience with Jesus before his death is their experience with Jesus after his death, even though he wasn't even physically around anymore. Right? The, the reality of the resurrection, the impact it can make on our lives today is that the power it has on our lives is even greater if we look at the original disciples. Greater after the resurrection than before. So there's more. What I want to say is there's more than just remembering this week, I've been reading the gospel accounts of what happened in Jesus' life on this weekend 2,000 years ago. And I've been fascinated by the contrast between two kinds of Easter stories. There's, two, there's basically the, the gospel writers, they give us basically two different kinds of, of resurrection stories, two kinds of Easter stories. The first kind of story, and there are several of the, these, we could call these empty tomb stories. Like in John's account, a few women get up early, early in the morning on Sunday and they walk to the tomb and they're carrying spices and stuff like Because What they expect is to just, I don't know, decorate the tomb. And what's surprising is that the tomb is empty. That's the big shock. Okay? They run away, confused. They go tell some of the apostles of Jesus, John and Peter, they run to the empty tomb. They actually go in the empty tomb they see, which is strange, they see the fabric that Jesus was wrapped up in, but they don't see his body. The women said, we think somebody stole his body. The guys see the fabric, that would be weird. They're still confused, right? They go away confused. So there's these empty tomb stories, and what's interesting is to see how empty tomb stories impact people. Notice these three things. People who experience empty tombs, they know something happened. There's some evidence that something happened there. Uh, but when they guess what happened, they get it wrong. All they can say for sure is the tomb is empty. So one, they know something happened. Two, what happened exactly, it just isn't clear. People with empty tomb stories go away confused. Mary Magdalene, who sees the empty tomb, she goes away weeping. Uh, Peter, who goes in the empty tomb, sees the fabric there. He goes away wondering. It's just not clear. So they know something happened, but what it is that happened is not clear. They don't know what it means. And so a third observation about empty tombs is there's no real change that occurs. And that's what's challenged me this week as I've read these empty tomb accounts. People who have empty tomb stories, listen to this. People who have empty tomb stories, they have real stories. Something actually happened, but it happened in the past. It happened in the past. It's, it's something that only lives in memory. And so the difference there, the impact that it has on our life, turns out to be very minimal. Now, they can have beautiful wedding pictures, so to speak, right? But have a pretty flat marriage. 
because it's an empty tomb sort of thing. It happened in the past, but there's nothing still happening. They can have a wild memory of encountering Jesus a long time ago in their life, and everything was amazing, right? But now be wandering around kind of confused, kind of numbed by the grief that comes with life as life goes on. But here's what's cool. In addition to empty tomb stories, there's a second kind of resurrection story, and those are uh, Jesus-appeared stories. And the contrast between empty tomb stories and Jesus-appeared stories, both of which are true, the contrast is pretty amazing. People leave empty tomb stories confused and full of grief. But people leave Jesus-appeared stories alive and full of courage. Just Mary, as one example, she sees the empty tomb and she weeps. She's confused and she's sad. And then this mysterious figure, out in like her peripheral vision, calls her. She thinks he's the gardener. He calls her by name. She recognizes it's Jesus who has come back to life. She embraces him. And then she runs. She goes from confused and weeping to embracing Jesus and running to tell his disciples that it is true and that he is alive. So here's a couple things about Jesus' appeared stories. They're sudden and unexpected. Jesus just shows up. You can't predict this kind of thing. He walks into locked rooms where his disciples are hiding. He shows up on the road while other people are walking along. Nobody, in other words, calls Jesus up from the dead in some sort of seance. You can't engineer this. There's no formula. It's not pre- Jesus just appears. It's unexpected. Second thing that's interesting about Jesus appears stories is that initially he's hard to recognize. Some think he's a day laborer. Some think he's an angel. Some people walk with him for miles, think he's just a stranger on the road. Okay? Can't put this in a box. And then a third thing about Jesus appears stories is that once Jesus is recognized, he seems more powerful than before. There's this commanding presence when the resurrected Jesus appears and it evokes reverence. Like when the resurrected Jesus appears to doubting Thomas. Thomas has been really flagrant. Unless Jesus does X, Y, and Z, I don't believe. And Jesus shows up and says, here's X, Y, and Z. And, 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 Mo, and Thomas's response is to worship him. My Lord and my God. The end of Matthew, when people see the resurrected Jesus, it says they worship Jesus. Same people are walking, having fish with him a couple days earlier. But when they see the resurrected Jesus, there's this, he's more powerful than before. So in other words, in empty tomb stories, something happened back then, another time, another place. We're not really sure. But in Jesus' appeared story, something is happening right here, right now. Jesus is alive, he is risen, and he's here among us. Let me wrap up this morning by reading um, one of my favorite stories in the, in the Bible. There's two reasons I want to read this, and it's, it's Luke 24, if you'd like to... Um, if you'd like to read it with me. Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter. Two reasons that I want to read this uh, to illustrate what we're talking about today, Matthew Barry, Luke. One is that this story illustrates the journey that people like you and me can go on from an experience with Jesus that is mostly in the past that frankly, frankly, doesn't make much of an impact on the way we live our lives. Okay? This story is going to illustrate how we can go from uh, a relationship with Jesus that is mostly in the past 
to a relationship with Jesus that is also right here, right now in the present. To it is actually a dynamic, real-life, spiritual experience with the resurrected Jesus right now. That's the first reason I want to read the story. And the second reason I want to read the story is because this is what Jesus did 2,000 or so years ago today. This story takes place on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago today, the very first Easter morning. So uh, let's read this together. This is Luke 24, starting with verse 13. And on that same day, this is Easter Sunday morning, Two of the followers of Jesus were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, which is where the crucifixion had happened. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Notice the difference between the past tense and the, and the present tense in this story. So they're talking with each other about what? Everything that had happened, right, in the past. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? Jesus says, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to his tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And then Jesus said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, in other words, he turns back to the beginning of the Bible and he shows them, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and he stayed with them. And then here it is. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then... He disappeared from their sight, and they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then they got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon, and the, and the two told how what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled. They were frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why did doubts rise up in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? 
And they gave him some broiled fish, and he ate it in their presence. Friends, maybe you came to church today with the honorable intention of remembering what Jesus did, of celebrating and remembering what he did, honoring his life, uh, thanking him for his love. And as important as that is, because of the resurrection, there is so much more in the Christian experience than that. You don't have to live, friends, on the fumes of memory. Because Jesus is alive, you can have a real relationship with him that can make a real difference right here and right now. In the next four weeks, I'll teach three times on Jesus, not on his ministry um, on earth, but in his current ministry as a resurrected, exalted, seated at the right hand of the Father. In other words, I'm going to talk for three weeks, not about what Jesus did back then, but what Jesus is doing right now. I'll talk about the mystical, spiritual, practical relationship that we can have with Jesus, not as he was, but as he is. And then on week four, I'm going to teach about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be moving way past empty tombs around here in the next few weeks. And I want to encourage you to press in and be very intentional about developing your relationship with Jesus because for all of us whether we've never had a relationship with Jesus or we've had one for a long time there is this relentless pressure to allow this to live in our past and there is this continually relentless and more powerful invitation from Jesus himself don't let that happen make this to be about here and now why because I'm alive I'm not dead anymore so have a real relationship with me that makes an actual difference right here and right now that's the invitation and it's to all of us whether we've never heard about Jesus or we've been following Jesus for a long time. So now I want to invite you to experience the presence of Jesus in a way that he himself established for people who follow him. And it is through the experience of Holy Communion, where yes, we remember that Jesus died for us, but more importantly than that, we're invited to participate here and now, not just in the death of Christ, but in the life of Christ here and now. Friends, if you are in a place in your life where you want to surrender your life to Jesus, where you recognize, I need grace. If Jesus makes any impact on my life, it's in my past, and I'm actually interested in a real present relationship with him, I invite you to receive communion this morning as the beginning of a relationship with him. And if you followed him for a long time, but if you're honest, you're like, wow, this is, this is pretty much in, in photo albums for me, right? This is, this is in old calendars for me, right? The last time I had a date with Jesus, it was a long time ago. And the reality is he's not really shaping. I haven't really stepped into today with Christ. Then friends, embrace this historic sacrament with this prayer. Jesus, meet me here. Fill me up now. I want to have a living, breathing relationship with the Jesus, not who's dead, but the Jesus who's alive. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, if we came today expecting an empty tomb, expecting to remember you with spices and gifts, shake us out of that, surprise us, astound us. 
I pray that you would have your way with each of these today and myself, people that you love and died for and people that you let now you live for, available to infuse us with the life that we were given to live. Jesus, I pray for each person here. There'd be no sense of obligation, but there'd be a real deep sense of invitation. And if there's something stirring inside us that says, I would really, I want that. I want to be filled with the life of Christ. On a level that's so practical, it's like a piece of bread that I eat. And I want to give my life over to Jesus, that he would lead me forward. I need a guide who knows how to experience practical pain, has faced death, has even gone through death, and can show me the way in a sense that is full of hope. In these moments, I pray, Lord, you meet with us. And that those of us who are searching and seeking for you, God, would meet you here. In Jesus' name. I'm going to pray this ancient prayer for communion, and we'll put it up on the screen, and if you'd like, you can pray it with me. And then after I pray, there'll be four stations around the room. And if you'd like, you don't need to feel obligated to. But boy, I hope, you, I hope you heard the invitation. And if you want to receive communion today, you can approach somebody who's serving and take a piece of bread and dip it into the cup and eat it. And what the server will say is hopefully they'll, they'll know your name or they'll read your name and they'll say your name because this is for you and it's personal. And they'll say this is the body and blood of Christ that is given for you that somehow, mysteriously, the very life of Christ could be infused into something physical and we could take it in in a way that our bodies understand it. And if our minds don't understand that, we could still receive it. There's candles in the front that maybe it'd help, help for you to light a candle as you pray for somebody today. The candle, it's not the important thing. But sometimes it helps us to do something physical, right, in connection with our, with our spirituality spirituality. And then if you brought a gift to give today to the church, uh, an offering, a regular offering, or if you'd like to support the youth center, the ushers will be up against the walls and um, they can receive offerings there. We won't pass the baskets around this morning. And finally, Angela here in a lanyard and Gentry with a lanyard are available to pray for you. I think it'd be a fantastic thing for you to receive prayer today, whether for yourself or for somebody else that you're praying. Invite somebody to pray along with you. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open this morning. All desires are known. There's no secrets that are hidden from you. And so we pray that you'd cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit so that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ who lives and reigns with you, one God, now and forever. Friends, take a moment to confess your sins to God. Just a quiet, honest acknowledgement of where you stand, what's going on. Maybe combined with this kind of a prayer, Lord, please forgive me. For this. Almighty God, have mercy on you. May he forgive you all your sins through Christ our Lord.
May he strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Amen. Amen. Take a moment to pray for somebody else. Pray for healing for the sick, Lord. You have borne our iniquities. We pray that healing would come through Christ for the sick today. Pray for the discouraged. That hope would return to their hearts. The darkness would lift. Pray for relationships that are all mired in brokenness and distrust and frustration. New life would be breathed in from you. pray that you would give us the gift of real and practical and dynamic making a real difference in our life relationships with you. God, we don't have time for the religious pretending we want something that matters. Pray for grace, Lord, to walk with you every step of the way. Friends, this is the gospel. We'll proclaim it together, asking God to shape us with these truths. I invite you to join me as we pray. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you, do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. We pray, Lord, you'd sanctify this common bread. You'd set it apart by your Holy Spirit to be for your people, the body and blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life in him. We pray you'd sanctify us also so that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and then serve you in unity and constancy and peace. And at the last day, bring us with all your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom. All this we ask through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, by him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor, all glory, it belongs to you, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God, and you're invited to take them in remembrance that Christ died for you, and then Christ rose again to give you new and full and dynamic life with him. Feed on him with uh, with thanksgiving in your hearts this morning. Expect to meet him here and now today. Amen.